People of God, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We continue our series in the, called The Upper Room. We're no longer in the upper room. We're somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane or the Garden of the Oil or the Olive Press. And we're looking at verses 16 through 33. 16 through 33. And as you're turning in your Bibles, you know, this text is um, meant to bring clarity, but it is a quite a difficult uh, portion of God's Word. And even naming it and giving it a title was not the easiest. I put sorrow, joy, and peace earlier in the week. I don't know if I would entitle that that way now. But it means it's not important. What's important is that the Word of God is open before us and that we try to discern it by the power of the Spirit. And so let us read John chapter 16, verse 16. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because, of her, because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use the kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from my Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you a question. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last? Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own house. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is God's word. A little while. I love that repetition. A little while, a little while, a little while. Do you understand why the disciples might be confused? As you were reading, do you understand why they might be confused? I was confused for much of the week. This is not a simple text. Jesus is still speaking in a lot of code. And they're having a difficult time understanding. What does it mean by a little while? Because that seems to be a subjective uh, fragment, doesn't of a sentence, in a little while. What's a little while? What's a little while? I've heard that kidney stones can be quite painful, and that although they pass in a little while, that that little while does not seem like a little while. It seems like an eternity. And I'm, ho I'm hoping not to get one, but most likely I will one day. That's, that's not the kind of little while we'd like. Is that the kind of little while that Jesus is talking about? That there's going to be something so painful that in that little while, it's going to seem as if it lasts forever. It's going to last forever. Well, the disciples are asking questions amongst themselves. They're clearly confused, which they tend to be throughout John's gospel and the other gospels as well. If anyone has been reading all the gospels, they will find consistently that ignorance is the norm for Jesus' disciples. Do you, can you relate with that once in a while? I can relate with that quite often. Ignorance, not understanding God's ways in my life, especially the providences that come to us, especially those bitter providences. It's easy to be confused why they're happening, isn't it? And a bitter providence is clearly coming upon the disciples. A darkness is descending over this, the merry men of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ himself. They're on the way to Gethsemane. We know what Gethsemane is. That's the place of the crushing where Jesus will begin to sweat drops of blood. So much stress will he be under that his capillaries will be breaking and blood will be coming from his face. It appears that the disciples really, even with all the instruction the Lord Jesus Christ has given them through these three years, still do not understand why he's come while he's here, they are still in confusion. But then Jesus brings the clarification, doesn't he? The clarification of Christ. Now, this might not be the answer you would hope for if you wanted more clarification. In a little while, I think I would like to know that in a little while it means, in a little while Jesus will leave because he will die on the cross and be buried. And then in a little while... After that, he will be raised to life because that's what Jesus is speaking of here in the context. He's speaking about his death and resurrection, but Jesus doesn't go there, does he? He doesn't go to something so simple in the clarification. Now, he still speaks to them 
almost like in the shadows. He says to them, well, his response is very good. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows that they're talking amongst themselves. Maybe they're trailing him as he's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. All the guys are together, you know, speaking. What's going on, you know? And they're just speaking. And Jesus turns around and goes, uh, you want me to explain what I'm talking about? He says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He doesn't say death, does he? He doesn't give really a lot of clarity. He simply says, you will weep and mourn. You'll grieve. And the world will celebrate. It will dance. It will be glad. Because the devil, the religious leaders, and the Romans will have killed him. They will have crushed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, the religious leaders and I would even say others would be rejoicing at Jesus' death. And in fact, if you read all the Gospels together, there's a lot of desire to kill Jesus. That's one of the great themes of the Gospels. How do we put Jesus to death? How do we kill him? We'd like to stone him. We want to get rid of him because he's a threat to our power. He's a threat to our prestige. We must eliminate the Son of God, the Messiah, from amongst Israel's people. That has been the desire. And now Jesus is saying that moment that they had hungered for and lusted for, my destruction will come. And they'll mock him, won't they? At the cross, they'll ridicule him. They'll spit upon him. They'll beat him. And they will delight in all of it. The scourging of Jesus for a Roman soldier was a, a moment of bloodlust, the kind of delight that the soldiers would get into as they beat a man an inch from his life. Those men, we think, oh, they didn't like that. They probably did, unfortunately. They're celebrating. But you will mourn. You will weep. Peter, you'll weep on the streets of Jerusalem because you'll deny me three times. The rest of you will run for your lives to your homes. You won't be there. In your shame, in your expectations, all of it will be crushed in that moment. But isn't that why Jesus came? to be crushed? Is that not why we have Christmas? So that God would take on humanity, human flesh? So that he would be the perfect sacrifice for sin? He had come to be crushed for our iniquities, hadn't he, in our transgressions? And although the world is rejoicing, and in this case, will be rejoicing, God has the last laugh, doesn't he, on that day? Because at the cross, man might be rejoicing. The devil might be screaming with delight. 
But God is gaining a victory for his people. Achieving that which no one can achieve. The redemption of his people. That they would be white, white as snow washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so your sorrow, your weeping, your mourning will turn to joy. Will turn to joy. In a little while, I will leave you. And in a little while, I will come back to you. It is in that little while I will come back to you. What is Jesus speaking of but his resurrection? His coming to life from the grave. When I hear Jesus speak about sorrow, turning to joy, I'm reminded of Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping will carry seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. And that's what the psalmist is singing in the midst of his suffering. He's, does, he's hoping that God would return the joy of, their peop- of his people and of his own heart. Especially when he reflected how God had redeemed the people of Israel out of Babylon. And in the cross of Christ, God is redeeming his people from slavery, out of Egypt, out of Babylon, those of the heart. As the crowd celebrates, Christ is winning. He is defeating all his enemies and defeating ours. And on that day, Jesus is speaking, when you see me arise from the grave, you will have a joy unspeakable. In fact, your joy will be complete. It will be overflowing because you will see something that has never been seen ever. A man so brutalized and beaten and destroyed will rise from the grave only with nail-scarred hands, a side, a pierced side, and feet. In that day, you will have joy. He will change everything, won't it? About the Father's will? Then I will not speak to you with a lack of clarity. I will speak to you clearly and plainly, not in parables, as Jesus routinely did, not in metaphors. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, I am the resurrection and the life. No, I will speak plainly because the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks plainly itself, doesn't it? It speaks plainly that when Jesus Christ said to Telestai, it is finished, all that he had come for as the Lamb of God to be slain was accomplished in his flesh and his resurrection from the grave was a declaration of his victory. And it will change everything, won't it? It will change cowards into courageous martyrs. Those who fled from even a slave girl or lied to a slave girl would be one who would stand before a mob and proclaim the gospel and tell them, you murdered Jesus. 
You murdered the Messiah. That's Peter. Because everything changes then. When you meet the resurrected Christ. When you sit before his face. Even what you pray for will change, won't it? They're not going to be praying any longer. Oh God, send us a Messiah that will destroy the Roman Empire. No, they will be praying far differently, won't they? They would be praying... We are so thankful that you sent your Son, our Messiah, our Savior, to save us from our own tyranny, to save us from our own slavery, to sin. We thank you that you were broken so that the shackles of our slavery to sin would fall off and we would be free. But he talks about speaking plainly, doesn't he? And praying plainly. That your joy may be full or complete. Full, that word, you could use both words. Verse 20, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. We've heard this language before about praying in Jesus' name, which they had not done. But soon they would. Now, it's clear that Jesus says that he will not petition the Father. In fact, when you pray in the Father's name, which Jesus has already instructed them in the Sermon of the Mount, that the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the, from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. What's Jesus speaking of there? There's something more, isn't there? There's his death, his resurrection, but his ascension. And actually, he's speaking of his incarnation. He's speaking of all the different parts of his coming and going. And when I am gone, I will send who? We've already learned this in this series. I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit. Now, we see that in his resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's on the road to Emmaus, remember there are two men on the road to Emmaus? Jesus shows up and they start to explain everything that has happened in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus says, well, Jesus explains what Jesus did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It doesn't appear that here he's speaking in parables about the kingdom of heaven. He is speaking how he's come to fulfill the entire Old Testament system from the prophets and from Moses or the Torah and even a little later you see from the Psalms or from the writings, the three ways the Old Testament is organized in the Hebrew Bible. Now, they're listening to all this. I still don't think they understand, actually. Because the way it's written, I had a hard time understanding. It's almost as if John is writing in such a way 
putting the fire hydrant on of truth that it's hard to take it all in. And then the disciples say something that is a bit like, do you really know what you're saying? Well, this is what they say. Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you a question. This makes us believe that you came from God. Jesus had said this again and again, that he had come from God. They had heard from John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had consistently taught him throughout his ministry who he was. And now you believe? Do you, know, do you see what, you, what they said right there? You believe at last? Exclamation point. Oh, you would believe at last. You've got it. Sure enough, you, 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 you have it all under control at this moment. Do they really believe? Do they really understand? Not from what Jesus says right after they spoke. Because he said, oh, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. We believe! Oh, really? You believe now? No, you don't. You don't understand. You're all going to be scattered. You're all going to run from your life. When you see those, those lights and those officials from the religious leaders coming, you will, you will scatter. You will run. You will deny me. You won't be there. I'll be all alone. Didn't he already said that to Peter? Didn't he say to Peter, you would deny me three times in chapter 13? No. They didn't understand still fully. They, they believed, but their belief was not fully understood. But Jesus says those sweet words. He goes, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. That loneliness, right? Maybe some of you are experiencing that loneliness now. You can be in a crowd of people completely lonely. As if no one understands me. No one gets me. But Jesus is saying here, even when everybody abandons me, and the people that I establish with the Father and the Spirit reject me and seek my death, I will not be alone. The Father will be with me. In fact, all of us here who are in Christ Jesus have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have entered in communion with him. And as the Father would never leave the Son, so the Son will never leave, nor the Father, nor the Spirit will ever leave us. Because the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, and Jesus himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Always with us, always present in our lives, even when we're falling over ourselves like the disciples. <sighs> even when we're too afraid to follow. Is it easy to obey Christ when the world opposes you? Is it easy to be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ or is it easy to cower and to walk away? 
We're a lot like the disciples, you know. Quite frail and weak, not bold. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing like us. And yet he still loves these cowardly lions like us who are gathered here on this Sunday, ready to partake, right, of his broken body and shed blood by, blood by faith. And yet God knows everything about you, every foible, every inability to stand up for Jesus. And yet what do we see in the text? A shepherd who loves his sheep. A savior still willing to lay down his life for those that scatter. And what does he say? Verse 33 that tells us he loves them even though he knows they're going to make a mess of that night. He says, I have told you these things so that, here's the reason, in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I do love this, this part. So that in me you may have peace. When you skip back to chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you, not according to as the world uh, does give, but do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. because we have the Holy Spirit's continuing work of peace in us. It's a sweet little peace. I give you my peace. And friends, in the failures of our own lives, don't we need to hear that? I give you my peace. I give you my body. I give you my blood. I give you my death. I give you my resurrection. I give you my ascension. I give you myself. And you receive it by a gift called faith. We don't know what the rest of this year will bring. Some of you now are already experiencing trouble. A new chapter of trouble has opened in your life. A chapter you didn't want to have written. But Jesus says trouble will come, but take heart. No matter how, how dark the trouble, no matter how ugly the moment you are going through, the chapter of life that is being written right before your eyes, take heart, sister. Take heart, brother. I've overcome the world. I've overcome your sin. I've overcome your unrighteousness in the cross. I've overcome your eternal death in experiencing that eternal death on the cross. And I've proclaimed that reality because I've risen from the dead. And nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. 
Because as the Apostle Paul says so clearly, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Because he overcame the world in his death and resurrection. And that kingdom, he ascended into heaven. And so from there he continues to intercede over us because he loves us. And then Paul continues on, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Christian, you have overcome the devil, haven't you? You have overcome the accuser because he can no longer accuse because you have been bought and paid for in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, saint, you have overcome the world because you have been born again by the Spirit of the living God to a living hope. And, oh, believer, you are more than conquerors through the victorious love of Christ. Christ's victory is a victory of love over the forces of evil and the forces of hate. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are thankful for the victory that we have in your love and in the Son's love and in the Spirit's love in whom we are baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whom we have communion with even as we approach the table this morning. We approach it as those who have, have communion, rich communion with Christ by the power of the Spirit under the blessed love of the Father. Oh, Father, continue to nourish our souls through your word and through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Visit us with your victorious love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.